Okay, hi, this is Dr. Nancy. We're coming somewhat live on Wednesday. Uh, welcome to another lunchtime um, interview with Dr. Nancy. Today we have uh, Tara Fox. She is, um, she tells me she's going through her doctorate right now, but right now she's working with patients um, with pans and pandas. And I know it's a, not a um, familiar topic to a lot of people, so we wanted to um, bring this to the forefront because there are a lot of kids with this um, and you may not really know that they have it. So um, I wanna have Tara introduce herself to you um, and let us know how she kind of got into this. Welcome, Tara. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. Um, so a little bit about me and how I got into this. I was um, an infectious disease for seven years. During that time, I started to see patients who seem to not really fit um, exactly into infection alone uh, anymore. They seem to have some neuropsychiatric issues and some changes in their behavior, even post-infection. Um, and I started to get a, a fairly large population and was seeing a behavior change with these children. And um, with that, I started to uh, gain a little bit more interest in the area of you know, kind of a broader topic of encephalopathy or inflammation around the brain. So about seven years, I got more into it. And over the last few years, I've been really interested more on how we can get uh, more providers, more parents, and um, even the community to know more about this rare but significant disorder. Uh, so yeah, you think it, you say rare, but I think it's a little more common. And than people think, really. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The new NIMH study suggests that there may be as high as 10% of kids that suffer from OCD mm -hmm. or disorder may have um, one of these encephalopathy-type disorders, again, inflammation around the brain, um, known as pandas and pans. So, you know, pandas, um, which has gotten some uh, notoriety over the last few years, is a disease that we know it stands for pediatric autoimmune neurologic or neuropsychiatric disorder after strep a really long title <laughs> that can be difficult to kind of understand however it's usually related to an infection of strep of some kind i think most of the time we think of strep as a, a sore throat type of infection however there are some studies that suggest it can be associated with infections on the skin too. So after these infections, approximately two to four weeks later, patients usually between the ages of three and nine, although that's, that's usually, recent studies have suggested that a large population uh, fall within that range, tend to develop symptoms in the neuropsychiatric family, meaning they start to have really severe OCD, tick disorders, Pandas is really a very specific disease because we know that it's associated with strep. Usually it's an abrupt onset and occurs two to four weeks after. But along with that, we see other children that may not fit in this strep category and have similar symptoms. Pandas is uniquely defined because of the strep, but also because it usually doesn't um, result in the restrictive eating that we see with some of the other types of infections that can result in these symptoms. So that's where we'd start to talk about PANS, Pediatric Autoimmune Neuropsychiatric Syndrome, where it's kind of just more of a broad 
we know that the child had an infection of some kind, and that happened likely two to four weeks, but we can't say with any certainty. Um, and the symptoms usually look very similar to that of pandas, but a lot of times, again, they're very remarkably um, restricted in their eating, which it's, the restriction is more, they're very specific about what they can eat and they become very sensory sensitive. So a lot of times it's not that they're um, unwilling to eat, they're only very specific about what they will eat or how they will eat. So like they'll only eat white foods, things like that. Okay. Yeah, exactly, exactly. In my own practice, I had a child who would only eat potatoes, um, pretty much in any form, but that was about it. So nutrition becomes an issue. But along with this, we also see, again, that OCD picture. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times what happens is the family doesn't find out till later that this could even be a process that happens. So they see their child completely change and are told that it's a psychiatric or psychological issue, and they go and see a psychiatrist or a psychologist, um, and they're put on certain medications or gone through certain therapies um, that, that may or may not be effective. So usually with the pandas and pans and um, encephalopathy picture, we use a very different type of treatment, and it, it really is based on the individual and what kind of diagnosis they have. So with somebody who has pandas, they may respond better to something like ibuprofen than a neuropsychiatric medication like Prozac for OCD. So that's, right. a, that's a really interesting point that a lot of people, um, that, that's one of the reasons why we need to get more information out there about this disorder. So what are some of the things that um, parents could look for that um, would alert them to pans or pandas? That's a great question. Let me pull up my screen so we can share and I can show you a okay. picture of the symptoms and how, when I explain it to other people, how they can remember. Okay. Share my screen real okay. fast. So here is a, just a short explanation of what pandas, pans, and um, what we call PAER. So again, post-infectious autoimmune encephalopathy, an infection that or a set of symptoms that occurs after infection can really be broken into the pandas and pans. So we'll briefly talk about pans. Um, I always like to include pictures because it helps me visualize the symptoms and kind of put them in order. So abrupt onset of, of dramatic OCD. So a distinct change in your child's behavior is, is really what you would notice. This could be um, one patient that I saw, a nine-year-old for her initial visit. She had a very distinct abrupt change in her behavior um, and became very obsessed with the weather, constantly asking about the weather, constantly asking about uh, concerns for tornadoes and hurricanes. That was a really interesting picture. Um, in addition to that, she did have severe restrictive food eating, only eating at specific times. So they won't always, a patient may not always present with just having what types of foods they eat. It may be times that they eat or how many times they have to chew the food. So, or they may be um, sensitive to the textures of certain foods, like they won't eat soft foods or they won't eat extremely hard foods. Um, in addition to this, like there's no obvious clear explanation, but there's no history of OCD. There's no history of a stressor or an environmental factor that would result in these symptoms. So whenever I hear 
in clinical practice in any frame, a child that has an onset of OCD or has OCD, I always ask the parents, did this seem to come out of nowhere? Because that helps give me an idea of if we need to go down the path of this disorder. In addition to these types of symptoms, a lot of times we'll see at least two forms of other neurologic symptoms. And the most common ones I see are um, behavioral changes. And that would be regression, baby talk, changes in behavior, not wanting to hang out with their friends, um, or having a hard time relating to their peers and oppositional behavior, where we have a child who may have not necessarily been very argumentative, who becomes really resistant to doing any type of activity. In addition to this, we also see a lot of stomach issues and a lot of joint pains, usually in the lower extremities. The stomach pains tend to go, uh, come and go intermittently, um, but those are kind of the most common signs that I see overall when I suspect PANS. So again, PANDAS is very similar uh, in a lot of ways. However, it does have its distinction being associated with strep alone. In addition to this, um, although PANDAS and PANS can both be what we call relapsing and remitting, meaning that it can come and go and the severity can change, um, PANDAS does tend to worsen with any type of infection. So you may see that um, you're your child seems to be doing really well, but then they get a cold and all of a sudden their symptoms seem to be quote unquote flaring again. In addition to that, we usually see pandas more in the prepubital uh, pre uh, population. So usually again, between three and nine, although that's pretty common for pans also, uh, with the onset of pandas, we usually see it very much early on, usually with the first strep infection. Uh, and obviously pandas can have any of the pan symptoms. So again, they're very similar, but the distinctions are there. And it is important to kind of determine the difference between the two. Um, but overall, if you have a child that has a history of um, OCD, tick behavior, Tourette's, onset of anxiety, or any abrupt onset of kind of neuropsychiatric changes, it wouldn't be unreasonable to think that this could be in the differentials of diagnosis. I'm gonna stop sharing my screen. Okay. So um, if a, or a parent does see some of these symptoms, um, is there a test you can run? Is there, how do you really know? Is it just based on the history? That's a very great, I mean, that's a very good question. It's actually fairly difficult. There are some tests that have come out. They're extremely expensive, and the studies are still out on whether they really determine the difference between um, autoimmune encephalopathy, pandas, and pans. The tests right now that exist are called the Cunningham panel, and it looks for something called autoimmune um, or antineuronal antibodies, so antibodies that we're building to our nervous system. But if you've had uh, any type of nervous system issue in the past, or you have a genetic propensity, you may build these without any symptoms at all. So again, even with a positive test, it may not be true or vice versa. Um, so, so, go ahead. No. Um, so yeah, the Cunningham panel is out there. It's very expensive, but it is an option. 
Um, Madeline Cunningham developed it at the University of Oklahoma. Um, currently, I'm not using it in practice as frequently because again, when I think about what tests I run, I think to myself, is this gonna change the plan of care? And if I have a child who comes in with an abrupt onset of symptoms, then I, then I usually like to check other labs to make sure we rule out things of a different etiology. Um, and then also I usually do like to have um, a psychologist um, on board too, just to get their input. Um, and uh, we do run other tests to rule, to just, determine any autoimmune players that may play a role. But in, for the most part, there's no specific test. It is really a clinical and historical diagnosis. Have they, have they found like um, what child may be susceptible? Is it a genetic connection? Is it an um, immune compromise? Is it um, anything like that? Yeah, I, you know, I'm working with the University of Arizona and what we have found is we do think that there may be some what we call epigenetics, where you have a genetic predisposition to this, and then a gene gets turned on because of the infection, but only in the nervous system. So that makes it a little bit harder to determine. Um, but I do think that um, there's some interesting studies out there that also suggest that maybe gut flora plays a role in it. So it's, it's really a holistic view in a lot of ways. We're just looking at ways we can lower inflammation in the form of treatment, but also how do we recognize these children earlier on? Um, and that, that's a little bit more difficult, but we do believe genetics and exposure, immune function, and even your own nervous system, how it's chemically wired may play a role in it too. So once they are diagnosed with this, does it ever go away? Is this just a childhood disease? Is this something that they'll take on into their adult life? Yeah. Or do I mean, we know? <laughs> so so I, I would say, you know, with my experience, I do believe that everybody does take it on in their adult life because the brain chemistry changes. So even if we treat it early, I do think that we have changed the way that the brain function. Basically, if we think about it like, the brain is an area that's inflamed, so chemicals become more permeable, so they can get in and out a little bit easier. So even if we get rid of that infection, you still have that tissue that has to heal. So the earlier we treat it, the more we can re rewire the brain to function differently. So just like somebody who has anxiety, you know, they don't necessarily grow out of it. We just gain the tactics and treatment to minimize the symptoms of it. Um, but, but we do see that a lot of times by the age of like 20, 21, symptoms can resolve fairly significantly with certain therapies. And that may include um, ibuprofen, that may include um, cognitive behavioral therapy, um, that may include probiotics. It's, it's really interesting because each patient kind of presents differently and how they respond to what. Okay. So um, also, um, can you describe what a flare would look like? Is it just going back to how they were originally? Is that what that is? Yeah, not always. So um, they can present very differently. I have a, a patient that I see who 
start who started off with kind of this real significant change in their school behavior. That's how it's, it started. They had these um, periods of what I would recall as like brain fog. They were unable to attend school. They couldn't focus. They couldn't function. Um, and that has kind of progressed to the point where he just has a difficult time reading now when he when he has these um, episodes. So this is three years out and he still has, but he recognizes them and we can do some treatments that may help. Mm-hmm. So they, yeah. they can present exactly the same. They can present very differently. But um, again, knowing um, that you get kind of familiar with the pattern of behavior and when it can occur. Okay. Um, That's all the questions I had. Did you have anything before we close, any tips or any um, advice you want to share? I think the biggest thing is if you have a child um, or you know a child who has OCD or tic disorder um, and doesn't seem to be responding to kind of traditional medications and therapy, it would be an excellent job to just look into this um, a little bit further. And you are more than welcome, obviously, to make an appointment at our clinic at TRF Pediatric Health that's collaborating with Excel for Life. Um, But it is something that, again, is is usually not seen in the primary care, but but really needs more awareness. Bless you. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry about that. (laughs) Okay. for the people that are listening on our podcast, can you um, actually give us your website if anybody wants to make an appointment with you? Yes, it's www.trfpediatrichealth.com. Okay, and that's F as in Frank, right? S as F in Frank, yep. Okay, awesome. Great. Well, thank you so much, Tara. It's great information. Um, I think you're going to open up eyes to a lot of parents um, with kids that are experiencing this that really don't realize what's going on. So thank you for sharing this information with us today. Really appreciate having me, Dr. Nancy. Okay, have an awesome day. You too. Thanks. Bye. Bye.